Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets trading mix this morning. Willie King joining me this morning, the man behind the Dividend Titan Finance blog. Good morning, Will. Hey, good morning, MM. Looking really sharp, DT. We kick off once again this morning with the world of banking and this time right here at home. Don't worry, it's not another addition to the 2023 banking crisis list. Unless, of course, you tried to log on to your DBS app yesterday uh, from about 10-ish to use Payla. DBS digital banking services were down for 10 hours. So are you a DBS client and did you try to use one of its apps yesterday? Well, I tried to use um, the POSB login to pay some of my bills late at night. So I was managed... I did manage to log in after that, but I guess people were actually complaining in, in the day yesterday. Yeah, thankfully I didn't have to use my apps. But do we know about what actually happened? This is a serious disruption the second time it's happened. Yeah, I mean, um, rather than seeing people trying to pull out deposits in the US, you have in Singapore people trying to log in into um, the bank's app or the account. And what really happened was um, there was a disruption which lasted more than 12 hours where DBS bank customers tried to use the digital banking system services and they encountered several problems and the delays were really caused by some high volume of logins according to the banks. Mm. So I guess uh, investigations are ongoing. The digital outages were a major inconvenience for DBS customers. If we take a step back, what impact do you think this could have on DBS's reputation? Is it likely to face fines, additional capital requirements as we last saw in back in November when there was a similar disruption? I think it was 930 million in ca- additional capital requirements um, required by DBS by MAS. So is it likely to face fines or maybe other punishments from regulators? Well, it could face the same same fines and also the same amount, but I guess it's really a, a slap in the wrist on DBS again. I mean, this is... Um, our country's largest bank and I don't think the fines would actually cause a huge financial distress to the financial institution itself. If any, it's probably just you know another slap on the wrist and you know life still goes on because you know these days even though you have these disruptions, people can complain, but in the end we are still stuck to the entire ecosystem. Absolutely. We're all tied to it. And I think uh, reputation wise, do you think it's gonna be negligible? because people are so used to DBS being part of their lives. Yeah, exactly, Michelle. I mean, if you see, it's very, it's impossible to not use DBS for a long time. I mean, I could switch to the other banks out there, but, you know, a lot of my money, a lot of my kids' savings accounts, the joint accounts, they're all stuck with DBS. And if I want to move from one account to another, it's going to be a huge hassle. That's true. But when you've come to expect banking 24 hours, thanks to fintech, a 12-hour disruption is serious. Yeah, exactly. So, But the good thing these days, I guess, you know, in Singapore is that we don't just rely on one bank because I believe that we, bo- we probably have a few accounts which could probably save us some trouble there. True, true. But I, I can't think of anything that um, I rely... If, if Paylad is down and PayNow is down... I don't have cash in my wallet these days. <laughs> I guess we have to use our credit cards, I guess, these days. Yeah, always have some stash of cash nearby. Now, for our next banking story this morning, we return to Switzerland where it's out with the new, back with the old. You heard that right. UBS pushing aside its current CEO, Ralph Hammers, and bringing back his predecessor, Sergio Armotti, to help manage the bank's multi-billion dollar takeover of Credit Suisse. Now, this personal personnel change, I should say, has come as a surprise to many observers. But then again, 
So too was this month's shotgun marriage between UBS and its former rival, Credit Suisse. Why does UBS think it needs Ermotti back at the helm? I think for Sergio Ermotti, he has successfully repositioned UBS following the 2008 global financial crisis. So he actually made some huge shake-up or huge change to the bank, which allowed um, the the largest Swiss bank to regain the trust of clients and stakeholders um, back in the global financial crisis. So I think after he left UBS, right now they're bringing a multi back. Hopefully, you know, he could actually rejig the entire merger, which is Credit Suisse and UBS together um, in this um, shakeup. So I guess it's Again, like the same um, story where Disney brought in Bob Iger again, you know, to replace Bob Chapek to really reorganize the business and hopefully can sort of turn around, um, in this case, the, the Swiss largest bank. UBS and Credit Suisse are known for having markedly different corporate cultures, which perhaps is why UBS is still standing on um, and Credit Suisse is not, some say. So what do you think could be the biggest challenge that Armotti is going to need to overcome if he is to make this merger a success? Yeah, I think the first thing is always looking at the assets of the banks. I mean, if you see Credit Suisse, they have been, a lot of their performance have been dragged by some of the legacy assets they have. So mm. I think uh, being able to try to sell down some of this um, assets which have been accumulated or which Credit Suisse have invested over the past years could be one big challenge. I mean, it's not easy, especially if you see um, from some of the other big banks like Deutsche Bank, which also tried to reduce and streamline its business. Um, it's not that easy. I mean, if you see Deutsche back then had to have two CEOs trying to run the institutions. And right now, you know, this is one of the biggest challenges which UBS is trying to face as well. All right. UBS and Credit Suisse there, there's certainly a number of headaches associated with this hastily made deal. Another has surfaced this morning, a report from a U.S. Senate Finance Committee indicating Credit Suisse has been helping wealthy Americans dodge U.S. taxes. Credit Suisse actually pled guilty to similar charges back in 2014, but this latest report indicates that Credit Suisse has continued to break U.S. law in the years since then. Let's turn to corporate profits now, starting with another financial institution, though I promise we'll move beyond that in just a moment. Jeffrey's Financial Group is reporting its quarterly earnings, and the numbers are not looking very good. The New York-based bank's net income plunged nearly 60% for the three-month period ending February. If we look at Jeffrey's financial group, what's behind the drop? Mm, I think it's really because of the weakness in the investment banking business. So while while it's trading profits from its um, stocks and bonds business, fixed income business has been doing pretty well. But um, on the other side, you have a very weak a weak um, profits in their investment banking revenue. So this really comes across doing your mergers and acquisitions, um, selling um, initial public offerings for companies. And really, I guess this is on the back of high interest rates where people or clients are taking sort of a wait-and-see approach because mm. high interest rates could actually set a more volatile market, which means that people are not companies are not that willing to buy other companies or you know sell themselves in this kind of shaky market conditions. Jefferies is the first major bank to report earnings. Analysts say its numbers 
could offer an early snapshot of how other banks will fare. Next up on the earnings watch list, China National Offshore Oil Corporation, CNOOC. Now, anyone who's followed other oil companies like Saudi Aramco recently is not going to be surprised by what I'm going to say. CNOOC is reporting record profits for 2022. Fill us in. Yeah, I mean, it's a no surprise. I mean, if, if you see how oil prices have actually soared, you know, in recent times, um, CNOC has, you know, it is the one of the three largest state-owned oil and gas companies. And, you know, they did a record net profit of 140 billion yuan. So this was, this was a huge increase from last year of 70 billion uh, yuan. And really, CNOC is a top contributor to China's domestic oil production. And right now, you know, with this elevated... Um, Profits, you know, they did pay out really strong dividends for the year itself, for the past year itself. So I think this is something which is um, interesting to watch. All right, the first quarter of the year coming to an end. If we step back for a moment, Willie, and reflect on these latest numbers, we see Jefferies and China Life coming in below expectations and CNOOC exceeding them. So what do you make of it? What do you think it tells us about the broader economy? Mm. So this is... Uh, China's life insurance, I mean, their profits actually fell 37%. Um, if you see for insurance companies, they are really like a two-headed beast, right? On one hand, you know, to make money, they collect premiums from insurance policies and they take these premiums to invest um, in what we call the float. And this float, they take this money to invest in the stock market. And because of the Chinese um, zero-COVID policies, the lockdowns, and of course, the outbreaks causing a slowdown in sales, this affected stock market returns and at the same time also affected um, China life insurance and probably the broader insurance market where they are also investing um, the money or the premiums in to the financial markets. So uh, really the stock market route eroding investment returns for China life. If we take a look at the market, stocks rallied overnight as investors seem to shake off some of the financial fears that have been dogging us all month. The S&P 500 logged its highest close overnight in three weeks, rising nearly 1.5% to top the 4,000 mark. The Nasdaq climbed 1.8%. The Dow rose 1%. All right, time for corporate news. It is up or down style. Let's start with ST Engineering. Mm, this is an up for me. Mm. ST Engineering announced its subsidiary, um, ST Engineering Marine has won a contract for the design and construction of six multi-role combat vessels for the Republic of Singapore Navy. So this would add on to its... Uh, already, you know, billion dollars order book for ST Engineering. Take a look at that contract's value. 1.2 billion US dollar contract to build vessels for Singapore Navy. That estimate is according to global data, by the way, and it's definitely an up for ST Engineering. Let's look at SIA Engineering. Mm. So SIA Engineering has signed a services agreement with its parent company, Singapore Airlines. And this is expected to yield a labor revenue of $1.1 billion over the three-year term, um, even though this um, contract value might not be a significant uh, contribution to its profits, mm -hmm. but I guess this is still good news for SIA, SIA Engineering. It is an up in my book as yep, well. That up. new agreement, by the way, is uh, to provide aircraft maintenance services for Singapore Airlines. All right, Second Chance Property is not a brand that you often hear of. Mm. This is a mid-size, small to mid-size property developer. So they do own 
investment property, uh, investment properties as well, and they're looking to actually sell down one of their properties. So it's a sale of their property assets, mm. which is a good news for me. This is an up. Um, this is a gain of the sale of the property would actually make a gain of, gain of four point three three million dollars, which they can actually redeploy or reinvest into the business been doing well with its asset sales. Yeah. Second Chance Properties is listed on the main board of the Singapore Exchange and its profits doubled during the six months of the financial year thanks to several asset sales. So an up for Second Chance Properties in my book. How's Intel looking? Mm, so you are looking at Intel here. They are also, you know, with the chip wars which we have discussed yesterday, they have uh, said that new chip servers for them will actually come sooner than expected. So this is something where Intel would be looking to be able to compete with their other rivals. So this is an up for me. Intel finished up 7.6%. The shares rallying overnight after the company said that those new server chips will be ready sooner than expected. The video game publisher Electronic Arts. Mm. This is a down for me. Electronic Arts is cutting about 800 jobs or 6% of its workforce. So according to its CEO, Andrew Wilson, they said that they are looking to move away from projects that do not contribute to their own company strategy. And they're expecting to take impairment charges mm. of between 170 to $200 million. So this restructuring plan is expected to be completed by the later, the later part of this year. So EA laying off 6%, uh, cost-cutting top of its agenda and finally let's look at champagne <laughs> so this is something really interesting because it's, it seems to say that you know it's worth uh, it's more interesting to actually invest in champagnes rather than gold <laughs> do you drink champagne Michelle? all the time <laughs> Why drink water when you can drink champagne? Wow, that's a good one, man. <laughs> Expensive though, uh, better to invest in champagne. Reportedly outperforming gold and the S&P 500. For example, the price of a case of all Chardonnay 2012 Salon de Mesny soared 232% last year. Definitely time to pop the bubbly and maybe time to hold on to it. <laughs> What do you think? And resell. Yeah. It's a lot like bags, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, champagne has that brand. It's got the um, distribution. And of course, global demand is just mm. seemingly never ending. Yeah. Love the bubbly feeling, you know, which goes down your throat sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Thirsty. Well, our last word today has to do with the world of artificial intelligence and chatbots like ChatGPT or ChatGPT4. Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, who is Apple's co-founder, dozens of other tech leaders as well have come out to call for a six-month moratorium on the development of AI's advanced systems. In particular, anything more powerful than ChatGPT. Now, they say that these AI systems pose a threat to humanity and that we risk losing control of our civilization. What do you think? Is AI getting out of hand, Willie? I don't know. Do you think this sounds a lot like the Matrix we watch? Do you watch the Matrix, All Michelle? the time. <laughs> All of them over and over. Over and over again, right? <laughs> <laughs> this this really sounds like a Matrix moment to me somehow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, six months, what's six months going to do? I mean, ChatGPT was completed. Um, ChatGPT was rolled out in weeks after ChatGPT. Uh, ChatGPT 4 was rolled out weeks after we first encountered yes. ChatGPT. So what is the six months moratorium going to be able to do? Yeah, exactly. And what's stopping other people or other companies for, from developing and enhancing all these um, softwares? Because right now, you know, you have this thing called open code where everybody can contrib contribute, you know, their programming codes and all that. Mm. What's stopping, you know, other people all across the world from, you know, improving 
artificial intelligence. Oh, good point. I mean, the last time when I used ChatGPT was so mm. interesting, right? Because I wanted to design, you know, my project and I was asking um, ChatGPT, hey, ChatGPT, could you design me a course for a class of 20 people? An investing course for a class of 20 people and ChatGPT could just come out straight ahead in just a couple of seconds. I tried that as well. And then I looked at the course and I thought, if I read this verbatim, people would fall asleep in my course. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we can try um, ChatGPT with Market View. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> I want the original Willy brain, the DT brain. Um, I think the, the, the concern is that AI being so smart and so quick cognitively could lead to the phasing out of a certain class, uh, leading to a certain class of people deemed as a useless class. Do you know what I mean? Um, and there are fears, of course, that we've seen so much AI work behind the scenes with social media, and that's led to polarization. With AI now capable of language, which is like the master key for um, building civilizations, are, are we in danger of phasing ourselves out? I think it's a very interesting point you made, Michelle. I think the, the point of um, that word useless, I think is more of it tries to open the gap between people who knows how to use AI and those who do not know how to use AI. So what do I mean by this is I think for example, ChatGPT is a lot about knowing where, how to ask the accurate questions. Because if you think about it, ChatGPT has, has all the answers. Hmm. But right now, it's not about finding um, new answers, but rather asking that right questions to get that sharp, uh, sharp response you need from ChatGPT. Because I've, I actually, to be honest, I actually struggle trying to find the right questions to seek to the solution. Sometimes I don't even know how to ask ChatGPT. Really? Yeah, but if you ask the right questions... Yeah. You know, you can get all the answers you want. I'm excited by the prospects. I mean, I was writing a paper recently and um, I needed APA citations, one of the most boring parts of paper writing, right? So I, I found that asking ChatGPT to help me put my sources in APA citation very, very easy to do. And it helped me uh, write my paper 60% faster than if I had to put together these citations myself. So tremendously useful. I think technology for any age is a door opener. It opens mm. doors to possibilities. But the fact that you have Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, guys who you think have their finger on the pulse of technology, what do they know about the possible dangers of AI that we maybe don't get a cent of yet? Yeah, I, who knows, right? Yeah, who knows? In the meantime, let me open ChatGPT4. <laughs> Help me out in a bit. Uh, about a week ago, if, you, if you're interested in this whole area, historian Yuval Noah Harari made an argument against AI. It's a great piece in the New York Times, really worth reading. And he writes that the threat is not like in the movies, not like Terminator or Matrix, but rather it's control over language that AI will be able to then use to manipulate both people and cultures because it's, you know, digesting all our important books and sources and then spitting out new cultural artifacts, right? So Yuval Noah Harari is arguing humanity has already lost the first battle with social media algorithms and the second wave of AI chatbots is potentially even more dangerous. We'll keep our ears to the ground on this continuing evolutionary argument just for you. Keep it right here with us here on Money FM 89.3. He's Willie King. You can read his blog, Dividend Titan. I'm Michelle Martin. Thanks, Willie. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg 
or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.